You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favorite podcast platform. Now, on tonight's show, shortly I'll be joined by Tanarong man Grant Hansen. Now, you'll know Grant from a variety of roles. He, he's played within the media and across the community, probably most notably as co-host of the Mangrook Footy Show, that classic show that, uh, well, was just a beacon amongst all the jocks in the in the AFL media community. Um, so I want to speak to him tonight in relation to um, his knowledge of AFL issues, but in particular, uh, Adam Goods. Today we learned the great man uh, refused an invitation to be inducted into the AFL Hall of Fame. So I thought it'd be good to speak to Grant about that because he was in the media at the time. He still remains in the media, but he was having a particularly close look at all the issues that surrounded Adam basically being herded out of the uh, out of the AFL through races vitriol. And in the second half of the show, now something a little bit different, um, but something I've always planned to do with the mission and, and just, well... When I, when I set this show up, I, I always wanted just to get everyday blackfellas uh, on the show so we could just sit around and chew the fat about um, issues that affect them and affect us collectively. And that's exactly what we'll do in the second half of the show when we have a yarn with second-year teacher Tana, Drama, uh, Tana Draper-Nagus. Uh, like I said, she's a second-year teacher, so her first year <laughs> was 2020 and her second year as a teacher is, of course, 2021. Sheesh. So we'll have a general conversation about uh, what drives her, how she's dealing with lockdown, get her views on some general uh, issues. It's not something I haven't gone in and, and, and researched uh, Tana's life ostensibly or thoroughly. So she could be a member of the clan for all we know, but uh, I have a sneaking suspicion that she isn't. But um, yeah, like I said, it's something I've been looking forward to doing um, since the show started. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R, exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics, and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. The AFL's most decorated Indigenous footballer, Adam Goods, has now been out of the game for over five years, meaning that he has been ineligible. He's been eligible to be inducted into the league's Hall of Fame for over five years now. But um, as you're probably too acutely aware, Adam was basically hounded out of the game by a hostile and racist public and grandstanding jock culture of the pundits and hacks that found an Aboriginal man making a stand against racism was a little bit too uppity for their liking. As a result, we found out today that Adam has refused the AFL's invitation to be inducted into the Hall of Fame, and once again, it's likely to cause a stir throughout the AFL community and beyond. Now, one of the few beacons of light during those last tumultuous years of Adam's career was the Mangrook Footy Show, and one of its hosts is our next guest, Tanarong man Grant Hansen. Now, it's hard to know where to start with Grant, but I guess a good start would be to highlight that in 2020, he was inducted into the Victorian Aboriginal Honour Roll in recognition for his role as a strong leader and activist for Aboriginal people in the media and entertainment sector. He was covering all these issues in and around the Good Saga at the time, and I'm very pleased to say that he's on the line to speak with us now. Grant, welcome to the mission. Uh, g'day, Dan. How are you? And uh, hello to the listeners out there. Thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Um, so, what have you made of uh, what have you made of today's news, Ray Adam? Oh, look, I think this story is one of the biggest tragedies in Australian sport, in the history of the sport, in the country, and uh, sad that Adam, five years later, still doesn't. Uh, 
feel like he wants to um, re-enter you know, the AFL arena and be inducted into the Hall of Fame. So Adam's obviously still hurting some five years later and it's obviously taken a toll on him. He doesn't want to have nothing to do with the game or attend any official function. So, um, you know, I feel very uh, sad for Adam that it's come to this and, uh, you know, it's such a tragedy what happened to him in his last couple of seasons of AFL football. I think it's so sad that someone that has obviously got so much to give, you know, Australian of the Year, mm. Brownlow medalist, uh, set up his own charity, um, doesn't want to have anything to do with the game that um, he dedicated so much of his life to. What, what was your recollection um, at the time of um, all of this happening and all this going down? What, what were you thinking? What were the people you were working with at the time thinking amongst all this? Well, look, we, we were just disappointed that this carried on for 19 weeks and he was continually booed because he took a stance against racism and he obviously singled out that young girl at the MCG when he was playing and I think it was the bigger picture was it, was it wasn't so much the young girl but it was probably in Adam's mind that this sort of stuff is still happening in today's society and this young girl is still perpetuating you know, the racist attitudes that she's learned from other people. And I think that was a straw that broke uh, the camel's back, so to speak, with Adam. And it wasn't so much about the young girl herself. It was just, you know, racism in general and it being unacceptable and probably a bit of a, a shock to Adam that young kids are still um, learning racist, racist attitudes. And uh, he took a stance and some people didn't like that. Um, and, you know, he, he's been an advocate uh, against racism for most of his career that he played in. And, uh, you know, Adam had a tough life himself and... Uh, He's been a positive role model for you know, a lot of Aboriginal uh, footballers, more so the, the other players in the AFL. And uh, it's just such a shame that a person of his calibre, you know, he's a two-time Brownline medalist premiership player, that, you know, he doesn't get the recognition and respect that he deserved. And it was only last week I was watching some posts of Adam up in the Northern Territory and reading some of the comments on the Facebook page there, and people still bagging him, you know, some five years later. So... You know, some people need to build a bridge and get over themselves because what happened to Adam Goods is very un-Australian-like. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that I, I think gives a lot of Aboriginal people a, a heightened sense of anxiety when um, someone makes a stand like this is that there's going to be collateral damage and it takes a toll on all of us to a certain extent. So now that Alan, um, Adam has made this made this stand, this, this strong stand, this right stand, in, in my opinion... We're all, as a mob, going to be exposed to the vitriol and the racist abuse that um, that was likely to incur over the next little while in relation to this. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, that's correct. And you know, every time incidents like this happens, it brings up racism in, in all parts of Australia, in the country towns, and the cities, and it gets people talking about stuff. And you know, most of it is adverse. It's not good towards Aboriginal people. And you know, for years we've been talking about building bridges, reconciliation you know, closing the gap, all these sorts of things. And when these stories pop up again, you can still see the cultural divide that exists in this country. So you've got to shake your head sometimes and wonder, you know, how close we are getting together as a as a nation. And basically this sort of stuff, you know, just shows you how far the divide is between white Australia and black Australia. Does the AFL itself still have a problem with race, in your view? Um, look, I think the AFL, um, you know, made significant steps as far as racism is concerned within the game. I think the disappointing thing for Adam was that the AFL can step in a lot earlier and uh, and stamp out, you know, what was going on with Adam on the field and uh, talk about it publicly and, and let people know that that sort of attitude and behaviour wasn't on. And Adam, you know, he, he put up that for 19 weeks and, you know, that shows his mental strength that he was able to play through that, play well, 
but at the same time be booed and ridiculed and hung out to dry, basically. So I think in Adam's mind, reading you know the, the stuff that was in the paper at the time and even today, that I think Adam feels that the AFL let him down and he's still hurting about that. So obviously that's why he hasn't accepted the award to, or to be inducted into the to the Hall of Fame, which is the same because he's one of the best players to have played the game. So uh, hopefully in, in years to come, um, Adam may, may feel different about that. But I just really feel for him at the moment. Yeah, I don't think people because of because of all the all the, all the drama and tumult around um, Adam in his final years. I think people have forgotten what an absolute gun of a player that he was. Like you said, two times Brownlow medalist, um, a Premiership player, um, best um, uh, best and fairest. Um, I hope that now that we've got this added sort of controversy, which shouldn't be controversial at all, it shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, that um, I just hope his legacy as a pure footballer doesn't get lost in all this. Well, it seems to have because, you know, the attitudes are still lingering. As I say, last week I, I seen a, a social media post about him and read a lot of the comments and 90% of them are still anti-Adam Good. So five years down the track and people really haven't learned anything about the issue at all. So that really worries me, and I think Adam sees that stuff as well, or hears about it, and I think that's part of the reason why he doesn't want to step back into the to the public arena, into the spotlight again, because it's just going to bring up a whole lot of stuff again for Adam. And you know, at this stage, it's really about Adam and how he's feeling and how sensitive he is towards all this stuff. And you know, we have to respect his wishes that he doesn't want to put his uh, best foot forward at this stage and and be uh, publicly ridiculed. So I can understand his stance. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've seen the, the Do Better report handed down at Collingwood, um, resulting ultimately in the resignation of uh, their president, uh, Eddie Maguire. Um, one thing I've picked up over in the last three, few weeks in, in the football media in particular, while there's been all this conversation around what's happening with the Collingwood board, is that a few commentators seem to me to be starting to rewrite history and, and saying that, you know, Eddie made some gaffes and uh, people need to move on from that. But um we, we mustn't forget the, the, the role that the likes of Eddie Maguire played in the um, eventual, I don't want to call it downfall of, of Adam Goods, but the, the, the eventual, um, I, I guess, uh, toxic climate that, that forced him out of the game. Um, are, you, are you concerned that some people are writing, rewriting history around some of these matters? Um, look, I, I think when it comes to Eddie um, and a lot of people, that sometimes making jokes and having a bit of a laugh, they don't realise how sensitive it is towards Aboriginal people. And mm. sometimes they may assume that they're joking. It was only a joke. I didn't mean any offence to them in to hurt people. But once it's said, and it is sensitive towards a person that's directed at, you can't take that back. And at the time, it was very sensitive, uh, the whole Adam Goods issue. So Eddie coming out with that remark and, and, and talking about Adam... You know, he sort of just put his foot in it. And then, you know, Collingwood tried to rewrite history by saying that, you know, that they were going to stamp out racism at the, in the game and the club and all that. Other clubs are already miles ahead of the Collingwood footy club when it comes to reconciliation action plans and dealing with Indigenous players. And a lot of clubs have got a long and successful history of, of dealing with Aboriginal players and have a really good record with Indigenous guys coming from all parts of Australia into AFL clubs. So I think, you know, the psych of Australia still needs a lot to be desired in terms of, you know, racial attitudes and stereotyping around Aboriginal people and, and realising that, you know, we as Aboriginal people, we're, we're very sensitive, you know, and um, we're the outsiders in our own country, you know, and um, we're basically strangers in our country that's not really 
hasn't been accepted into the into the mainstream, and we're still on the fringes a lot in society. So it's still a continual effort for us to uh, to be recognised in our own country. Yeah, forgive us if we get a little bit touchy from time to time around some of these matters. This is a podcast from Triple R, an independent media organisation in Melbourne, Australia. Triple R is listener-supported radio and receives no direct government funding. If you would like to financially support Triple R by donating or becoming a subscriber, hit up the Triple R website to find out how. I'm speaking with uh, Tanarong man uh, Grant Hanson. Um, one thing I wanted to speak to you about, Grant, while I, while I have you, is you know you've been in and around the media now for for a long time, and so much of the the, the conversations and and the attitudes that um, uh, are espoused around these type of matters are, are generated by um, the media. Do you I mean is there an answer to to getting more black fellow representation within the media to try and balance some of these discussions and to well, bring a bit of nuance into the conversation? Yeah, well, you're right, 100%. That's right. And that was one of the reasons why I started up the Margaret Footy Show was to get more representation of Indigenous people in the AFL media. I mean, I, I've been doing Margaret now. I've done, uh, I think it was 12 years on radio, then 13 years on television, and I just started back at radio again. So basically 26, of, 26 years of my life I've been, you know, um, creating opportunities for other Indigenous people to work in the AFL media. But before Margaret came along, there was no careers for Indigenous people in the AFL media. And, you only have to look at the Herald Sun or the Inside Football at the time and and uh, The Age and all those papers. They have a lot of, um, of reporters, sports reporters, but none of them are Indigenous. And I think it's really important that our know, great game has an Indigenous perspective. And, um, you know, even if you look at the TV shows, that we were underrepresented on, on Channel 9 football shows and, and Channel 7 sporting shows. And, you know, um, so until Margaret came along and paved the way, there was nothing really so... And we're also underrepresented on, you know, in the mainstream media, on, on mainstream television and mainstream um, and on the Fox, Foxtel channels and the news. We see all these one-sided views all the time that perpetuate, um, you know, the anti-stance and, and rumour-mongering and um, insinuations about Indigenous people, but we never get the Indigenous perspective out there to be able to educate the wider, wider audience in Australia. Yeah, there's nothing more grating than being spoken about and not speaking to, spoken to or spoken with about some of these yeah, matters. Exactly. And you see it, you see it on every night, every night of the week um, in, in in AFL media. Yeah, and you know, we're, we're, and particularly even in mainstream media, they discuss Aboriginal issues on some of the mainstream morning shows and stuff like that, and have these panels about Aboriginal mm. issues. They don't have Aboriginal people on there to <laughs> to give them that perspective. So I think you know it's. Uh, Ludicrous that you know the mainstream media in today's you know, day and age don't have you know indigenous representation more on mainstream television, so we get a, a balanced view. So you've got uh, you've got the uh, the Mangrook radio show. Where can people hear that? That's on Three K and D, the indigenous radio station based here in Melbourne. It also streams and it's on the iHeart app and and uh, goes right around Australia now, basically, and, and through streaming around the world, of course. But Three K and D, cool and deadly, fifteen oh three a.m. And we're on Saturday mornings between 9 and 11. So uh, we haven't been there the last couple of weeks due to the restrictions, but uh, yeah. hopefully we can uh, make a comeback this weekend. And, of course, 3K and D, you were um, uh, one of the instrumental people in, people in establishing that station in the first place. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a founding member of um, 3K and D, and I'm the chairperson there as well. I've been for some years now. I've been on the board there for a long, long time. And, uh, you know, the station's up and about at the moment. It's running really well, and it's got a big audience, and... 
you know, it's also a very good educational tool for the wider community to be able to tune in and hear these conversations and also hear the great music from a lot of our Indigenous artists that are going around at the moment. Absolutely. And um, before I let you go, what else are you working on? you got any other projects or fingers and pies that oh, um, yeah, we should be I aware of? at the moment. Yeah, I have. <laughs> I'm working on an Indigenous music documentary um, that I hope oh. to get out in the next 12 months or so. So I'm doing that. And I'm always um, trying to find some more dollars to get the Margaret Police show back on TV because it's got such a huge audience. And, you know, you it talk does. about reconciliation and closing the gap. That was the show. That was the vehicle to bring people together through the love of footy. A bit like Yoffa Yindi did with music and bringing people together and just celebrating the game and, and getting people together. And, uh, you know, that show done you know, perfectly, probably better than most other, um, you know, uh, funding bodies can do in this country. So I'm always um, up and about looking for some for money to get the show refunded so we can get back on the airways because uh, it's badly needed, that's for sure. It certainly is. This landscape in terms of uh, blackfellow media in the AFL is pretty barren at the moment. Um, I would imagine that it would be a very easy pitch. So let's just hope that someone with some uh, some deep pockets can uh, help you out there because it's a show that people love to see back on the TV. Yeah, that's right. And as I said, it's loved by um, black and white alike. You know, they, they love the show because it's a pure football show and it has that Indigenous perspective, but it also has some... Uh, you know, the, the current day players that are non-Indigenous and some of the old stages as well, like Dougie Hawkins and Kappa and um, Kevin KB. Bartlett and yeah. you know, those sort of guys. So, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a really good mix there. And um, people just love the authenticity of the show. And, you know, it was one of the very few football shows that really spoke about you know, the game itself and what the personalities on the panel, I suppose. Well, best of luck with that, Grant. Uh, keep us posted. And, of course, if um, uh, yeah, we're, we're fortunate enough to have it back on our um, airwaves, this um, platform here at Triple R will always be open to you to uh, come and talk about it and, um, and, and promote it and celebrate it. But um, in the meantime, keep up the good work and uh, thanks for coming on the show this evening. Yeah, thanks, Dan. Thanks for having me. You're listening to a Triple R podcast. Discover more podcasts from Triple R exploring science, technology, food, books, social issues, politics and more. To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. Now on to tonight's second guest. Like I said at the top of the show, it was always my intention when I um, uh, got this show up and happening with um, the, the kind help of the folks at uh, Triple R, that um, I wanted to speak to everyday blackfellas, blackfellas from all walks of life, but just because there are so many issues floating about at any given time, we invariably end up getting experts in their field to come on the show and have a yarn with us about the issues of the day, for which I am, of course, um, internally grateful for and grateful for their time. Um, but from here on in, we're going to try and chew the fat with um, as many everyday mob as possible when we can uh, make it happen. So um, who to start with? Well... Let's start with uh, Bayal and Kanaka woman and second year teacher Tana Draper Negus. Negus? Negus? You got it right. <laughs> yeah, first time, idiot. Um, Tana <laughs> teaches at uh, Lilydale Heights College and is one of the growing number of First Nations teachers that are making their way into classrooms right across the country. And we're all the better for that. Uh, Tana, welcome to the mission. Hi, how are you going? I'm <laughs> very well, thank you. Um, let's start at the beginning. Um, yep, who's your right. mom and where do you come from? So I am a Bayili um, and Kanaka woman. So I'm living off country on Wurundjeri country, but um, my people are in from the Gladstone region up north and um, obviously from Tana Island, hence the name <laughs> in Vanuatu. Yeah, right. So how did, how did you uh, end up finding your way this far south? 
Oh, well, my mum and dad actually met in, um, in Philip Island. Um, and so my dad was living off country in Philip Island. And so they met there. So it was actually kind of always just lived on the Mandarin country. And I haven't had the experience of living on country, maybe one day. But yeah, I'm, I love the cold weather. So it's probably good because I'm a poor excuse for a Queenslander. That is very important because you're going to be up for some very, very cold weather in the next 24 hours. Are you up for it? Yeah, I am. I think so. I've got my hoodie, so I should be fine and cosy. <laughs> so, when, so when you were growing up, um, uh, who were who were some of your role models? Who were some of the people you looked up to? Oh, that's a good question. I think um, lots of the people that I looked up for to were probably not the people that I would look up to today, if that makes sense. I think as a young Indigenous person, I was quite like timid and shy of my identity. So I think that the people right. that I looked up to were, you know, like um, I really, I was really into like <laughs> uh, whales for some, quite some time. So I was mm. really into like Sea Shepherd and things like that. Um, but now I think that when I think of who I'm looking up to, it's probably lots of, you know, mob in our community, mostly um, amazing people. Like before having a chat about Stan Grant and, you know, Mafia Lincoln, people like that, I feel like it people who I aspire to today, um, more so than when I was younger, I was probably like, I really like Justin Bieber, so <laughs> 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 a cringy thing. <laughs> I think it's really important. I mean, I think and it's a, in the conversation that isn't ha- um, had enough um, amongst our mob is that, you know, a lot of us come to our, our identity in various different ways. And and the fact that, you know, you're, you're you know, born and raised down here, that, that not connected um, yeah. Directly with your mob, except through um, your parents, um, means that your 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 journey in, through your indigeneity is is different to everyone else's, and everyone else's is different to, to yours and 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 mind. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, so now that you are a, a teacher, how <laughs> how does the fact that you're you're um, an Aboriginal teacher, a First Nations teacher? Um, how, how does that identity feed into the way you teach? I think it feeds into what I do, but I think mostly I had lots of experiences through my own education system where I was, you know, not brown enough to be Aboriginal or, you know, not white enough to be white. So I think that that kind of plays a lot into my identity because I can work with kids that are very similar who, you know, they feel like, I feel like I'm always going through the tea analogy of like what it's like to be Aboriginal, you know, like no matter how much milk you add, it's still tea. And I think that I, if only I had someone to tell me that when I was in primary school and high school, because, you know, it's this thing that we see all these ethnographic films of blackfellas being portrayed, you know, as hunters and gatherers and we don't see what, you know, everyday people look like. Um, and I think that was the biggest thing for me that helps me do what I do today because I'm able to understand not the shame but just, I suppose, that awkwardness of feeling out of place even though, you know, we're all one and the same but just, you know, having that missing link, I suppose. So, yeah, and there's, and there's that old adage in there that you can't be what you can't see. So exactly, having... Yeah. Having Indigenous teachers in in the classroom for kids that are Indigenous themselves is, um, I, I guess, the benefits of that are, are just incalculable. Absolutely. We're so underrepresented in the education system. I think in Victoria alone, we only have 76 um, 
staff, teaching staff who um, identify as Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander. So that's just in the government, um, state government. So that's insane that that's such a low amount of, you know, people and representation. So to be that and to have, you know, you can't be what you can't see. So mob, I think that's really important as well. So so what drove you into teaching in the first place? Because it's... um for so many kids, it's not an obvious field. Um, when I say kids, I mean I mean blackfellow kids. Yeah, um, I think the biggest thing that you know really encouraged me was when I was little. Um, my I went to a primary school um, around here, and my mum is non-indigenous. Um, and so, what the issue was is that um, unfortunately my dad passed away when I was a baby. But mum saw that I was you know just dealing dealing with racism and stuff um, at school. And so she tried to reach out to the school and for them to, you know, do something about it. And instead, um, they did nothing and they said they didn't want to incorporate Indigenous perspectives or culture. So mum reached out to lots of community around here. Um, and then from that, she took her own time <laughs> to go and teach all of my peers at my school about my culture and who I am. So I was, you know, dealing with less racism um, in the school system. So I think that was probably the first thing that I was like, I want to be a teacher. I saw my mum do it, even though she's a nurse. Um, and I think that it was really powerful that this is not getting covered. And, you know, if we're not there to hear our, have our voices heard, then we can't, you know, assume that people are going to do a good job of it or do it right either. And you you speak about racism. Racism, of course, comes in so many different guises. Yeah. But um, uh, I think the, the 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 form that it takes you and you notice the most when 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 you're a kid coming up through the system is is that casual sort of everyday racism. And yeah, um, absolutely. When, when we were speaking <clears throat> in the lead up to to this interview, um, we both mentioned that teachers at various points had both asked us, um, you know, whether we could speak Aborigine. Yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, you're doing too well. You need to dumb it down so we can get funding. Things yeah, like now, that. now explain, yeah. That one, explain that one to us. Oh, one of my high school teachers said that I was doing too well to be Aboriginal and that in order for them to get the funding to use on non-Indigenous kids, that I needed to do worse um, at school. I think this was in about year nine um, because, yeah, I simply was too smart for an Indigenous person which is just shocking, like, when you think of it. Like, and I didn't have the tongue on me now to be like, hey, I'll tell you where to go. <laughs> but, yeah, it is shock appalling. And, you know, I don't think that that is a unique experience to me either. I think that is very common for lots of mob. Um, if they're not all coincidences. They're, you know, this systemic casual racism that we get on a daily basis. So what, what do you remember about... Um some of you, some of your better teachers. What are, you know, your best teacher. What do you remember about them, and what what about them inspired you to move forward with your life? My one of my best teachers was um, Alison Schluter. She's amazing. She's my English teacher all the way through high school. I think the biggest thing that for her was that she didn't see anything different. She just was able to build like really positive relationships with all of her students just by being a genuine and authentic person. And I think that's something that I think I do well of today. Is I don't you know, put on a face in front of my kids. I'm just me all the time. Um, and I think that, you know, learning that from her and seeing her interact and seeing her as a normal person, you know, because kids often think that teachers are just teachers and they don't have a life outside of that. So I think showing, you know, the reality and the rawness of it all, I think I definitely, she really influenced me in that sense as well. And, and here you are now, uh, an English and a humanities teacher yourself. Yes, I am. <laughs> what it was come full circle. Yeah, that's amazing. 
you've you've picked a good time to become a become a teacher, Tanner. First yeah. year twenty twenty, second year twenty twenty one. How are you finding how are you finding it in all these lockdowns? Oh, it's crazy. Look, I'm a homebody at heart, so I am kind of loving it. And I'm glad that I am, you know, up with technology. I feel for the teachers, you know, who are a little bit older than I am and struggle with it. Um, but it's been okay. It's not been not too bad, actually. Um, my school's been really, you know, supportive with everything and been teaching us a lot. So I think that's been really helpful to um, feel supported in it. But, yeah, it's been a little bit tricky. Yeah, just Definitely spent more time. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Definitely spent more time behind a screen than in front of the classroom last year. Yeah, right. Um, it's and I feel, of course, for all the students, um, you know, particularly VCE students that have um, yeah. had to go through this on their three and four um, uh, unit levels to um, to try and negotiate so many things. And uh, online learning, obviously, is a is a struggle. Um, is it a struggle as much for the yeah. teacher as it is for the for the students and the parents? Yeah, I think it is. I think you know in when we're teaching in front of the classroom, there is so much that we're just innately doing. We're not realising it. And so when you take that away, there's so much like admin and work to do. Like it actually is insane. The amount of little things that you just do in your five seconds when you were the student, it's like a few emails back and forth and, you know, it's a real process. So it is taxing. So hopefully we're out of it sh- shortly um, and can't wait to get back in because, you know, so many kids, especially for um, my mob at Willard Heights College, um, some of our little First Nation students, they, you know, struggle with technology and stuff like that. So I can't really wait to get back to see them and just to connect with them as well. And one final question before um, I'll let you go from your uh, radio debut. Um, <laughs> um, where do you want to end up? Where do you see yourself um, heading with all this? Where, where do you want to be taken to or where do you want to be guided to or, or drive your own ship to, sail your own ship to? Fantastic question. One that I haven't had too much time to think about in the past. No kidding. Um, I would ideally would really love to be either continue, I obviously want to continue working as a teacher in the department, but I would really love to be the headline of creating co- curriculum for schools to implement um, in an authentic way and mentoring you know, non-Indigenous staff on how to do that most appropriately. Correct answer. Um, thank you so much much for your time Um, thank you for being so generous and uh, you know just responding to a a random uh, text Um, but um, uh, best of luck in the future Tanner and we'll get you on the show we'll keep up with your progress but uh, as for now uh, take care and uh, stay safe thank you so much you too it was a pleasure thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's The Mission a weekly radio show exploring the issues that impact the lives of Aboriginal people and those at the wrong end of social justice in this country. The mission is broadcast live on Triple R every Tuesday evening. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast and feel free to get in touch via the Triple R website.